Paul had gone through this. He had had plenty of zeal that was completely misguided. He'd been very zealous for God and very lost. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. If He didn't have any, I don't think you do. And He said, I don't have that, but that which is through faith in Christ. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue on our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of a message titled, Misdirected Zeal. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. I always look forward to it when I'm asked to speak to a, to a, a, a group of people who need to hear the gospel. And, and I work and I try to communicate it in a way they can hear it. And Paul's a pattern in this, says the Lord, uh, most of the speakers of the New Testament, you might say, you know, the sermons. But, but watch Paul in another setting, a secular setting or a heathen setting, a Gentile setting, Acts 17, he's at Athens. And when he was telling them about Jesus and the resurrection, you remember, they said, this is kind of interesting. He's got some things to say. Why don't you speak to us? Because they used to just trade philosophies. You know, it's like, lot like a lot of universities today. And just anything goes. So let's hear from this guy. When he stood up, verse 22, in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. He said something that they could hear. Now, we know what he was thinking about it, and he goes on and tells them what he was thinking about it. But he starts in such a way that they might have a chance of hearing him. You know, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. And most people hearing that then or now would say, Well, well thank you very much. <laughs> I'm very religious in all respects. It's good. Yeah. And he says, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. You not only had the God to the sea and to the mountains and to the stars and the moon and the God of fertility and the God of this and that, but in case you forgot one, you have one to the unknown God. You're very religious. And a lot of people kind of think in a religious pluralism, you know, I'm not going to deny any God. Who knows which one's right? Your God is fine. My God's fine. And they still think that way. But he said, you know, I noticed that. But then he gets to the point, what therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And then the balance of what he has to say is to tell them about the God they don't know, the unknown God to them, but who is very knowable. And he says, you know, what you worship in ignorance, I want to proclaim to you. And he gets to his point. Now, there's a very close parallel to what he says over here in Romans. Notice, look back. He says, I bear them witness. They have a zeal. You're very religious, you know. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. And when the Jews uh, sense this parallel, of course, it really... The unbeliever really doesn't like this. And, of course, in Athens, they didn't like it. And in Jerusalem, they didn't like it. But I say that because I think it's interesting to watch how Paul starts. He says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. You see, the question isn't whether you have a zeal for God. A lot of people have a zeal for God. 
The question isn't whether you have religious zeal. A lot of people have religious zeal. You can easily have misguided zeal. Easily. Today, I don't ask you if you have a zeal for God. I ask you, is your zeal for God in accordance with His revelation of Himself? Is it in accordance with knowledge? Uh, maybe you've seen those commercials. They crack me up. The, the gal sitting on the plane, and she's on the phone with her broker, and she's got to make a decision because she's got all this money, what to do with it, and, you know, move it out of this. Well, go ahead. Well, I don't know where to put it. And the guy hands her a little piece of paper, and the guy next to her, you know, and it's got a little note on it, and uh, it's, you know, and, and she takes it, and he's just the picture of wealth sitting next to her. So she says, uh, put it in H-P-M-O-Y. And she gives the ticker tape symbol, you know, and, the, and yeah, yeah, all of it. And then she hangs up, and she says, hey, th- thanks. Thanks for the tip. And he says, what do you mean the tip? And she turned the paper upside down and said, howdy. And... <laughs> She goes, and you can just see her go, oh, no. And then they say, you know, the commercial says, know your source. <laughs> and there's a couple others, and uh, I say, oh, they, so true. Know your source. If that's true with your money in the market, you don't just take the first note that's handed. Well, he's got a nice suit on. Yeah, put it all there. That'd be good. No, know your source. If that's true with your money, if that's true with every, you think about it. Zeal or sincerity in any area of life isn't enough. In fact, somebody says, well, I don't know much, but I'm just going to trust it. And after all, I'm sincere. No, you better get to know if it has to do with your physical health. You don't just say, I don't know if he's a doctor or not, but he seems like a nice guy. No, don't just haphazardly. But if that's true in other realms, what about the ultimate realm of God? Are you just going to say, well, I'm sincere? I have a certain zeal. I mean, I, you better find out what the issue is. And you don't have to guess. God has given us a book. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Paul knew a lot about misguided zeal. He said, I was more zealous than all my countrymen. And I was busy persecuting the church. He had been there. He knew what misguided zeal can do. So he said, I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. Very dangerous combination. You see, the great need today is knowledge. Real knowledge of God. Who He really is. What He's really like Israel's a picture of so many today who have just kind of a vague concept. There must be some, and I, this didn't all just happen. And we oftentimes take that as a great stride forward. Well, it's a step. I guess it's better than saying, I don't believe there's anything except just this big explosion that started on the size of a pinhead or whatever. You know, there, I suppose that's a step in the right direction, but it's not enough to just say, I believe there's a man upstairs of some sort. No, or a cosmic designer. No, you can know Him. And zeal without knowledge of Him is misguided, futile zeal. It's worthless. The great need is real knowledge of God. And he says, not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they didn't subject themselves to the righteousness of God. You see, to really know God 
is to really know the God of righteousness, because that's the only God there is. The God of righteousness, not knowing about God's righteousness. Real knowledge of God is knowledge of the God of righteousness. That's who He is. Now, we don't know much about righteousness today. We, uh, we don't really know much about it. I, I think of Paul Williams, our translator down in uh, Costa Rica, and he says it's hard sometimes to translate a concept they have no word for because there's no concept. You're in a tropical place, and you come to the word snow, and you think, how would I translate this? They've never seen snow in certain places in the world. How will I communicate that? Well, in one sense, that's the way I feel in our generation today. You talk about righteousness, and there's been very little knowledge of it today. We've put that knowledge aside. And so we talk about a righteous God. We say, oh, let's emphasize other things that we make a little more sense to us. You know? But I'll tell you something. We need to know the righteousness of God. Listen carefully, because this is the theme of Romans. I mean, take a, just look back at chapter 1. It's so important to see this. Look at chapter 1, verse 17, when he says, I'm going to tell you the good news from God, the good news of God, that I'm going to write about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. For in it, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Then he spends three chapters explaining our unrighteousness. And look over at chapter 3, verse 21. He says, Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Verse 25 when he tells about the cross of Christ, he says this was to demonstrate his righteousness. That in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness, he repeats it, at the present time, that he might be just, righteous, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, this term throughout Romans... There's uh, two implications. God is righteous, and righteousness is provided by God, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Some insist that we decide between those two, and some commentators even on Romans will say, you know, you have to... The, it, it, but I, I say both concepts are, are implicit in this phrase, the righteousness of God. In fact... It is because men are willfully ignorant of the fact that God is righteous that they are unable to understand that righteousness can only come from God. So the righteousness of God is crucial to Romans, and there's a real need for us to grab it and get hold of it and let it get a hold of us, you might say. We live in a day when it doesn't come naturally because there's so little understanding of what it means to be righteous. God is absolutely holy. He doesn't bend the rules. And He demands righteousness. You shall be holy, for I am holy, the Scripture says. Uh, you know, just as your Father is perfect, I want you to be perfect, Jesus closes the fifth chapter of Matthew. Uh, Righteousness, the righteousness of God and the fact that it comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ is what he's after here. 
And we live in a day much like the 50th Psalm when the psalmist writes, you thought that I was just like you, speaking for God. A lot of people today just assume God's like us. He's, well, if God were like us, he would be unrighteous because that's the definition of what we are. We're sinners. You thought I was just like you. Oh, no, he says to the wicked. No, not at all. Let not the rich man, Jeremiah wrote, boast in his riches. You know, he said, thus says the Lord, don't you boast in your riches. And let not the mighty man boast in his might. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. Jeremiah 9.24. Oh, the need to see his righteousness. Now, verse 3, he says, not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. You see, if people don't understand and appreciate God's righteousness, they will quickly seek to what? Establish their own. That's the, the core of self-righteousness is assuming that we can establish our own righteousness. And so you have today moralists, establishing their own righteousness. You have cultists of all stripes, not really understanding that God is absolutely righteous, so saying that you can establish your own righteousness. Just follow our little rules. We've got a second book here that you can follow, and if you'll follow this, you'll be righteous. And you've got religionists of all levels of zeal throughout the church at large and the great denominations of Christendom, you've got most people that you talk with, if you really ask them how they stand with God, they will tell you, well, they're seeking their own righteousness. They won't say it that way, but they'll say, I think when a you know, bottom push comes to shove, the bottom line, it's going to be how you stand, how you've done, how you've... And, and they're seeking to establish their own righteousness. Why? because they don't understand, they have no knowledge. They're willfully ignorant. You say, Israel knew about God. Yeah, Israel knew, had data about God, but Israel refused to see how righteous God really is. Israel's a picture of the world at large. This is where Romans 1 started. Remember, they knew God, but they didn't honor Him as God. People know, and so today when I say you don't really understand in our culture righteousness, I say, but yes, you do, really. Because in our heart of hearts, we know that God isn't just like us. He is righteous, capital R. And because of that, when the gospel comes to you and you hear that there's only one way of righteousness and it's a God-provided way, in your heart of hearts, you know that's true. If you really stop and think, there's no righteousness apart from Him. The Lord is righteous in all His ways, the 145th Psalm says. His righteousness endures forever. That's kind of the center of the 111th Psalm as the psalmist just praises Him. Righteousness and justice are the very foundation of Thy throne, Psalm 97 says. Indeed, righteousness, righteousness, the heavens declare His righteousness, the psalmist says as he closes that psalm. Oh, righteousness is central to knowledge of God. Well, how do we get that across? How do we get that across? We proclaim the gospel. That's how that gets across. Remember back at Romans 1.17? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he said, for in it 
The righteousness of God is revealed. We proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and people understand. God brings understanding. That's God's way of liberating. That's God's way of saving those who believe. And so our great task as Christians today, the underlying task of the church is to proclaim the gospel. And as we proclaim the gospel, we're proclaiming His righteousness. I mean, reread, look at chapter 3 and look at it, uh, just listen to it and see the centrality of this. Verse 21, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. When we went through this, we saw that every word draws you back to the cross. That's why Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. That doesn't mean that everything we say is always about the cross, but all paths lead back to the cross. As you explain the gospel, you're always coming back to the centrality of the cross. And so when I say, what should we do? I say, proclaim the gospel. But I'm not talking about the feel good about yourself gospel that's being proclaimed today. I'm not talking about the God loves you so much it doesn't matter if you sin gospel. That's not the gospel. Those are caricatures of the gospel. There's a distortions of the gospel. The gospel has everything to do with the fact that men are sinners. Christ died in our place, and righteousness from God and of God can be found only in Christ. Only in the Lord is righteousness. Everywhere Paul went, that's what he proclaimed, the righteousness of God. That's what the Old Testament taught. The gospel that we're to proclaim is the gospel that says, when my sin, when your sin, when my iniquity was placed on Him, the sinless one, the Lord was pleased to crush Him. That's the gospel. The good news that God is righteous and provided a righteous Savior and a righteous salvation for us and that righteousness comes from Him. That's why, you know, we looked at Jeremiah 23 last time, that great prophecy of uh, God's purposes with Israel. And that's why when they finally realize who Christ is, when they embrace Him, and when uh, we'll see in chapter 11, when Israel once again turns to Him, He will be known, you know, Jeremiah 23 says, He will be called the Lord our righteousness. Not knowing about the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own and did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. But Christ, look at verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If God is righteous, and He is, then only He can produce or provide righteousness for us, and He did in Christ. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. 
That's what he's been emphasizing all the way through Romans. That's the gospel. And that's the gospel that you and I need to be very clear on and we need to let it simmer into our hearts. It needs to come out of us when we speak about the cross. We need to understand why the cross. We need to be able to explain it to those around us. As in Paul's day, even the Israelites were missing this. The Gentiles were embracing it. The Israelites were missing it, and so Paul labors, and he's going to labor throughout this chapter to show what he's after. I wonder about you, because time after time, when I talk to people individually and ask them, tell me where you're at, what do you, what do you think as you stand before God, they begin to talk about their own righteousness. I say, how about you? Have you turned loose of that? Have you turned to the only source of righteousness, God himself as founding Jesus Christ? Don't leave this, you know, vague. Turn over as we close to Philippians 3 and listen to Paul's own testimony. Because as I say, Paul had gone through this. He knew uh, what he was talking about. He had had plenty of zeal that was completely misguided. He'd been very zealous for God and very lost. And uh, he knew the problem. And as he gave his testimony, Philippians 3, he said, you know, verse 6, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. If He didn't have any, I don't think you do. And He said, I don't have that, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what he had found, and that's what motivated his proclamation. That's what motivated his prayers. That's why his heart went out to Israel, because he said, I found all my zeal came up like rubbish. And I found not a righteousness of my own, but I found the righteousness of Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Have you found that? Today, you can turn from any sort of self-righteousness, any sort of self-justifying, and admit you're a sinner, and you can find that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Misdirected Zeal, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. 
The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station, and we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Notice, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, the deity of Jesus Christ. Don't be saying, oh, we're going to have to go get him, as the Jews might say back in verse 6. No, don't be waiting for Messiah. He came. Confess that. Messiah, the Lord, our righteousness is here. He came. And then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's nothing left to do. He conquered sin and death. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Believing and Confessing. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.